0: Welcome to another edition of The Spilled Tea. I'm your host, David Michael Quinn. I um, just want to jump right into it. I wanted to discuss a couple of things. The first thing I wanted to discuss, obviously the most important, would be disciplining versus um, child abuse. Now, the reason I bring this up is because Andre Peterson... Uh, another football player, was arrested for child abuse. What he did to discipline, quote, end quote, his child, was he told his child, go outside, get a branch from a tree, bring it back in, and I'm going to whoop your butt. Now, I know that sounds kind of comical, but in the black community, growing up in the 80s, growing up in the 90s, this is something in the 70s even, and even further back than that, this is something we did. In today's society, this is not something that we do. In today's society, it's labeled as child abuse. It wasn't okay then, but it was accepted then. And I remember my own experience. The reason why I bring it up is because it hit close to home to me. I was raised like that. I was raised, if you do something bad, you get to switch and, you know, you get your butt wet. And for it to be labeled as child abuse today really validates my own childhood because for the longest time I felt like I was abused by my my mother and half-brother. And they thought I was crazy. They were telling me, I'm, you know, you're crazy. You're just really sensitive. And we we just don't understand you. So having them being mortified by this and seeing the pictures of the whip marks on the kid's legs they are mortified and it made me feel so validated because not only was I hit with switches I was hit slapped across the face I was hit with belts I was picked up and thrown down on the ground by my half-brother because I wanted to spend time with him and his friends I was told I was nothing I was told i too black. I was too short. I was too tall. I was too white sounding. I was too skinny. I was too gangly looking. Nobody knew who my father was. Just If you can imagine any nasty thing you can say to somebody, that was said to me at home. And I always felt so angry towards them. And even today, I feel such anger towards them. And back in... I want to say 2008, 2007, I wrote a letter to some of my family members because it wasn't just my mother and half-brother that did stuff to me. It was um, outside of my family, aunts and uncles and cousins. Now, thankfully, I can report that I was never sexually abused, ever. Thank God, because I would be so messed up today. But I remember one incident where I um, don't recall what happened, but I was walking up some stairs as a kid, and there were um, nail heads sticking up on the stairs, and one of my cousins dragged my leg and cut my knees up, and I ran upstairs because, you know, my knees were bleeding. And my family was just like, oh, you're just being a baby. Stop it. And I didn't talk to my cousins the whole We went out to dinner, and I didn't talk to my cousins the whole time. And... I still have scars on my leg from it and it was never addressed. It was never apologized to until I wrote that letter. And back in 2007, I wrote a letter to my family and my godmother and I said, you know, how I did not feel like I had the best childhood and how I felt relieved that when I moved, I felt, you know, cause I, we moved from Springfield to Seating um, Hills mass in 1985 and how relieved I felt and, how my life has turned out since then, and how I'm not going to let the abuse in my past shape my future in a negative way. And the reason why I'm telling you this is because after I wrote that, I felt such relief. Now, it caused momentary drama for my aunts and uncles because they were not happy to hear this. But when I moved back to Springfield in 2011, I have one of my cousins, His, um, he's my god sister's son. His girlfriend reached out to me and she made it a point to reach out to me and she brought me to my godmother's house and I have never felt such relief because I was nervous about going over there. I was still very angry and I said, you know what, I'm going to let it go. And when I went over there, the first thing my godmother said was, because they called me by my middle name. The first thing she said was, "Hey everybody, Michael's home." And that I knew. I knew in that instance that this is this isn't something that I should be angry at. And I talked to her and, you know, she did apologize to me. She she did say, you know, "All right, you know, I understand how you feel and I'm sorry how you feel and, you know, it, it just felt good to hear an apology sort of, and it also felt good to know even after she apologized, every time I would see her after that, I'd get a hug and a kiss. I would be told I love you. So I knew she was serious. I knew she was actually backing up her claim. And everyone else in the family has done the same thing. Not that I expect everybody to walk on eggshells for me and apologize to me. But when you are abused as a kid, you think, oh, my God, what is wrong with me that my own family would do this to me, would hurt me? And to be honest with you, I may have talked about it before, but it spilled into my school life where I was a really good student. I didn't want to miss school, and there were kids at school that were teasing me because I was black, because even at 10 years old, I was openly gay. And, you know, I was called a fag. I was called a nigger. I was called a a spear-tucker, I was called a jungle bunny. And in eighth grade, I said that I wanted to kill myself because I just couldn't take being abused at home and then being verbally abused at school. And one of the really popular kids in school told told my teacher, who told the guidance counselor, and I never will forget how mortified my mother was to have to go into school and explain why I said this. And it wasn't a, oh, my God, what's wrong with my child? What am I doing to my child? It was, why would you embarrass me so much? Took that in the back of my head. When the abuse stopped from my mother and my half-brother was when I finally, she slapped me a couple weeks before Christmas across the face. And I don't know what got into me, but I slapped her right back. And she slapped me again, and I slapped her even harder. And I said, if you ever touch me, I'll call the police. And she said, well, call them. I'll tell them that you're you're a runaway and you're an abusive child. And I said, oh, okay. Well, how about this? How about I go around the neighborhood and tell them what a horrible parent you are? And how about I go to our relatives and tell them what a horrible parent you are? How do you like that? She never touched me again. She was afraid that people would find out stuff. And she didn't want that. And when my brother's half-brother, I call him my half-brother for a reason. I'll get to that in a minute when he stopped hitting me was when he was on the phone with my mother while she was at work. And this is what happened. I took a knife from the kitchen and I held it up to his throat. And I said, if you ever touch me again, I will slit your fucking throat in your sleep. And I was 15. And it was later that day that my mother slapped me across the face for doing that, whatever. But, um but now Well, since then, it's gotten, it was like, okay, I can sort of try to forgive, but I was still angry and confused after that. And I wanted, because they were my only family, blood family at the time, even though they were, down the street was a whole, another family who loved and supported me no matter what. And to this day, they are who I call my family by love. And subsequently, they are who I write about in my books. But my mother used to get so jealous when I would go over there for birthdays and holidays, and she didn't get it. She, she still doesn't. And when I moved in 2007, I felt like a weight had been lifted off of me because I didn't have to deal with them, my half-brother and my mother, on a daily basis. And actually, the move made things better. You know, I was able to sort of forgive, never forget, but forgive. And I was still a little bit hostile, and I couldn't understand why, if I was trying to forgive them, that I was still hostile towards them. And so when I moved back in 2011, I thought, oh, things are going to be great. So I moved back in, and it wasn't so much physical abuse anymore, and it wasn't even emotional abuse or verbal abuse anymore because they couldn't get away with that. It was the little things like something's wrong with the um, diverter in our house, meaning if you're taking a hot shower and if you turn on hot water in the kitchen, then the shower's going to go cold. Or if you're taking a hot shower and you're washing a, a bunch of clothes in hot water, the shower's going to go cold. So something's wrong with the diverter in the house. Everyone knows that. And he still, he, my half-brother, still runs every single, almost every single day, he runs hot water in the kitchen while I'm taking a shower. Every single day he will come out of his room when he hears me in the shower and he will do it. And it's little things like that. And, And he smokes cigars now all of a sudden. And he'll smoke it by my bedroom window knowing that my bedroom window is open on the second floor and he'll smoke it outside. And it's just little things, little, little things like that, that aren't a big deal when it comes down to it. They're not abusive. They're not, they're more of like a bullying type of thing. And why I say it's bullying is because I've addressed it to him several times. I've addressed it to her several times and it's still being done. And so it's those things that are happening now. And When somebody says, oh, well, you know, whatever happened in your childhood, I apologize for. And then you see these things going on, these little things, it's not real. So even if they were to apologize now, which they haven't, it it would be invalid because these little things are happening now that kind of tell me, well, they're not really serious about it. So at this point, the only thing that I'm really doing is trying to move forward Counting down the days till I move, and I told my mother a long time ago that the next time I'm out of here, I'm not coming back. You're never going to see me again. That's it. And I can't, I can't spend any more time focused on the anger towards you two, and I'm putting no time towards the people that actually care and love me. So, so that's why the whole. Adrian Peterson case is so valid to me and, and it feels so validating and and I feel so um fortunate to have been able to say, you know what, this happened to me. It's in my past and moving forward, but recognizing that this did happen and and, and knowing that they are horrified by it makes me feel even better. So yeah, so that's my story. And um, I hope anybody else who has ever been abused, I want you to take that childhood that you have and have it work for you. Make something of yourself. What I did was I put that in my book. It's not 100% in my book. I didn't want to write an autobiography, but I definitely put elements of my life in my book, mixed some fiction in, and it, that was very cathartic for me as well. Um, so if you have an outlet, do good with, with your past and not, not let it hinder you from doing things that you want to do and, and, and make it a positive experience, you know. I could have blame them for every bad thing in my life that ever happened, but instead I, I'm taking it and I'm doing something and I, I'm I'm hopefully making it a conversation that people can have and not feel embarrassed by it, not let it get them down, not let it um, make them feel like they did something wrong. And, and I want to say to victims of any type of abuse,
1: you didn't do anything.
0: I don't care what you say to somebody. We are taught as kids to never, ever, ever use your fists or weapons to fight. We are taught that you, if somebody says something bad to you or if somebody hurts you, use your words. Now, I don't condone people calling other people pieces of crap and whatever like that, especially if they're children, especially if they're children, but there's a way to get your point across to somebody and there's a way even to get them to go away from you without making them feel like they are the scum of the earth. Even the person that you hate the most, there's a way to get them to go away without making them feel like how you feel. I would never want anybody to feel like how I felt. So... That's my little two cents. Um, I do want to move on to something a little bit happier. Um, I did watch, because everybody that knows me knows I love Fashion Police and I love Joan Rivers. I did watch the special last night on Joan um, Rivers' Fashion Police on E! And thankfully, they have said, starting in January, they're going to continue on with Fashion Police I'm hoping that Melissa Rivers hosts because she's just as she's just as um honest as Joan without the um what's the word I'm looking for? Abrasiveness. Joan could come off abrasive, even though it's comedy. She could come off as abrasive and she could really almost hurt someone's feelings just by talking about their clothing the way that she would joke about it. And Melissa doesn't have that. Melissa isn't, um, the type of critic that will rip someone from inside out. She's more of a, what was she thinking? You know, and and she's funny about it too. So I'm really, really, really glad that they're going to continue on with fashion, Police. Um, no word on what Jones QVC line is going to be like and all that other stuff, but at least they're continuing on with that. So I'm very happy. Um, Also, speaking of fashion and and, um clothing and all that celebrity, I do want to talk about uh, this new video that's been circulating called Booty by J Lo. And I playfully call her Jennifer Hopez just because it sounds funny and because also it um she's been married a lot. And it's with her and Iggy Azalea now. I think the purpose of the the video and the song is to show people, hey, I'm 45 years old, and this girl's 22, and I have a better body than her, and I can shake it, and I can be sexy, and I'm a mom of two, and yes, I've been married all these times, and yes, I have a younger boyfriend or ex-boyfriend, whatever they're, I don't know if they're on or off right now, but I think that's the point of it and so she's shaking her booty like she's a fly girl but there's no the thing i don't appreciate about this is there's no um let me go back when she was a fly girl on on um in living color she had dance moves she had a routine in this video all she's doing is shaking her ass that's it. she's shaking her ass it's jiggling she's poured in honey There's no rhythm. I mean, there's rhythm, but there's no, like, routine to it. I would love it if there was a routine, a dance routine, and she was able to keep up with Iggy because Iggy isn't like a dancer. And that's what I appreciate about Beyonce. Beyonce has the curves. Beyonce has the booty. But if you look at her dancers, some of them are younger than her, and this girl is 30 years old, which isn't old. She's 30, she had a baby, she can keep up with these dancers. That's what I can appreciate. If you are going to put out a song called Booty, at least show some sort of rhythm. Even Nicki Minaj. Nicki Minaj, now, there's claims that her her butt is fake, whatever. She's still shaking it. And she's still keeping up with every single one of her dancers. And I can appreciate that. And J-Lo, being a dancer herself, isn't dancing at all. She's standing in fishnet stockings, putting her head between her legs. I'm just like, Geez, like, what about your daughter? You have a daughter. Is this the right image you want to send to your daughter? I don't believe feminism means women can be as sexy as men. That's not what I believe. I think women are sexy already. They don't need to be half naked to prove that they can be sexy as men because guess what? Men are sexy too. But the thing is, you don't see guys out there (laughs) with a song called Dick and they're shaking their dicks everywhere. I mean, Magic Mike is the closest, but they're not singing. And everyone was gasping about that. You know, oh, my gosh, I can't believe, you know, how how sexy that movie is. Well, good. I am so tired of women saying, thinking that they need to be half naked on stage in order to convey their sexiness. Absolutely not. There's a video that Janet Jackson has with um, Bustin' Rhymes. I can't remember the name of it, but she's full head-to-toe leather. And she's got this weird funky wig. And, of course, so gross, but she has um, her nipple ring on the outside of her of her um, outfit. But that was sexy. Even Janet's video, um, If, where she's showing midriff, she's got beautiful hair, she's showing her midriff, and she's dancing sexually. That was sexy. I don't think Today's society understands standing in a bathing suit or a bodysuit and fishnet stockings doesn't equate sexy. It comes off a little bit slutty, actually, especially if you're a mother of two in your 40s. Then it looks desperate. You know, I just wish that more women would, even like what I'm thinking right now, if you look at daytime. Sharon Case is one of the sexiest women on television. This woman is in her 40s, and she always looks beautiful. She's got this beautiful long blonde hair. And it's not just because it's blonde. It's just beautiful and healthy. And she's always dressed appropriately for her age. And she is one of the most sexiest women. And there was a scene where she was in a bathing suit, and I'm just like, wow, this woman's gorgeous. And I'll even take it a step further. The show's matriarch, Melanie Thomas Scott, I think she's in her 60s or just close to 60. This woman never, ever looks bad. Her hair is always flawless. Her makeup is always flawless. She's never showing midriff or anything like that. And she is one of the sexiest women. think that more people should follow or more women should follow more of the guidelines where sexy is inner, not outer. Because I guarantee you, if you ask Melanie Thomas Scott, do you think you're sexy? She's so humble. She'd be like, no, I'm not sexy. But she is. This woman is always on point. And her aura, the way she carries herself on TV, she's just such a beautiful woman. And Seeing her every day on screen is such a joy and it's and it's the younger women on the show that wear the sexy outfits and you're like, Hmm, wow, I mean, I guess you're pretty, but tone down the to sexy, you know. Just wanna put that out there. Um, my other obsession, as everyone knows, is the Kardashian app. Now, It was first named Kardashian Hollywood. Now it's Kim Kardashian Hollywood because she wants everyone to know. She did this on her own. The other Kardashians can't profit from this. And Kyle had mentioned um, last Sunday the reason how Kim Kardashian got famous. And I, it took me a minute to think about it, but I can appreciate it now. So what happened was, And I want to clear this up for everybody because I am such a huge Kim Kardashian fan. She had a sex tape. And it came out. Now, it's not just the fact that the sex tape came out. That's not what made her famous. What made her famous was that her mother thought that it was going to be a big deal. So her mother said, You can release a sex tape, but I want to get profits of it. Because let me tell you something. If Kim had said no sex tape whatsoever, she would not be famous for the sex tape. And nobody would say she was famous for the sex tape. But because her mother said, Kim, let's make a profit from this, she said, okay. So because they agreed that the sex tape could be released, that is why she became famous. Only reason she became famous from the sex tape. At the time the sex tape came out the TV show was, was airing because they were airing at the same time so they could have pulled that and said no we don't want to discuss that but instead they said go ahead air the episodes featuring the sex tape so they did. So the combination of the sex tape being broadcast plus the TV show, talking about the sex tape being broadcast. That is why she got famous. I want that clear because a lot of people think she's famous for the sex tape. Oh, no. A lot of people think Ray J made her famous. Oh, no, Ray J isn't even famous now. He wasn't famous then. That's not the point. The point is Chris's reaction to the sex tape is what made her famous in combination with the show at the time. Now that we got that clear, let me tell you, in playing this game, Kim Kardashian Hollywood, I've said it before and I will say it again, I think this is mirroring her life because right now, I literally have seven jobs that I have to finish and every single, (laughs) I feel overworked and I'm like, oh my God, is this what Kim goes through? Does she have... A photo shoot here, a sitting there, a fashion show here, and this and that. It's ridiculous how much work just playing this game. It it's just it's insane. And I I wish people more people would play it so that we can discuss it and talk about it, but I honestly truly believe that I'm seeing a glimpse of Kim Kardashian's life and I respect her so much more. And I think I think her work ethic comes from her mother pushing her so hard. But now, I kind of feel like now that Kim is with Kanye, now I'm not trying to say that he's sexist, but I have a feeling he's telling Kim, listen, you need to stay home and take care of this baby. Because I'm on the road and I'm not going to have my baby raised by nannies. The only time lately I see Kim is at Kanye's concerts or on the TV show. So I feel like Chris has lost her moneymaker almost. And, God, I wish that I could, like, be a fly in that, that house to know Kim's schedule and what her life was like. And I'm just obsessed with her. But I just wanted to talk about that for a little bit. And, um, yeah, so that's all I got. I just wanted to do a quick show. And um still counting down the days to move. I am so excited. Um, I'm just – I feel like I'm working towards something awesome and another thing that really happened that was just, like, mind-blowing. Um, this week – actually, yesterday, Lemon Archie tweeted out that um, – for his followers to buy my book and that he liked my first book. And I was floored by that. I was like, that was just awesome. And I want to thank him for that. He's just been such a amazing person to know. And I hope everybody follows him. You can follow him on Instagram, at Lamone Archie, L-A-M-O-N-A-R-C-H-E-Y. Same thing on Twitter, I'm trying, begging for him to get a Facebook page, but he won't. Um, And also I wanted you to know, as a result of my conversation um, with Lamone on my interview with him about Dream Loud and Brad E. Young, they actually did a photo shoot already. So you can follow Brad at Brad E. Young on Twitter, and you can see those those pictures. Um, And when you do follow him, make sure you – hashtag um, dream loud. It's this campaign that he's starting and it's just he and Ryan Carnes are just amazing and Ryan Carnes is at Ryan Carnes 1. It's just about taking your dreams, voicing them, and then making sure that you go towards them. And how can I not appreciate that? Um, But yeah, follow them. Make sure you follow Brad. He's an amazing photographer. And um, till next time, don't forget to listen to us tomorrow. I'll be back with the boys. Dallas is still on vacay in Paris or whatever. Um, probably having a lovely time, because I would if I was him, and um, hopefully having some vacation sex, because I'm sure he is. And, um, yeah, we'll be talking. Doug is going to be hosting tomorrow, so look for that. And, um, yeah, you'll talk to me, Kyle, and Doug, and, well, listen to us. And, yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks again, guys. Bye. Still thirsty for more tea? Then check out our upcoming and archive shows right here on our Blog Talk radio page. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at The Spilled Tea and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash The Spilled Tea. Thanks for listening to tonight's episode of The Spilled Tea.